Bureaucracy's basement to your ears. This is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Tonight, the Circle Project, Innovative Revenue Tools, the Great Betting Plan Conspiracy, and oh so much more. This week's meeting is now in session. Excellent. Do we have coffee, donuts, bagels, buns? I I have a sponge that I rubbed against a pipe, and I have some fungus that I found. That is excellent. Okay, and you're you're well nourished and hydrated for this week. Okay. Okay. And I, you? Have, I, have, I have none of that. Oh, well, I'm I, sorry I just, to hear I, that. I found I found a pipe cleaner and I chewed on it and it didn't work out so well for me. Let's start with attendance. Okay. Okay. So first off, I'm um, looking for uh, uh, Mr. Launch Epe. Launch Epe? Uh, I'm looking around. I'm not seeing a Launch Epe. He's, he's, uh, I was actually looking forward to having him at the meeting. He, he was a great circus performer who blended the showmanship of launching himself from a cannon with the sophistication of fencing. Wow, that sounds amazing. That sounds like something we really need to get down here. I agree. There are that many... sounds like a, a man born to be an improvement vector. I agree. Many deaths resulted, though, from, oh, from his act. Um, I could see that. You know what? what? I, I, now that I look at his name, I realize that uh, I actually mixed up the letters in his name. It should say Paul Duchesne. Oh, I've heard of him. Paul Duchesne. Oh, wait, I am him. Okay, good. Okay, Paul Duchesne, you're here. Yeah. So I, I just I spontaneously made up that backstory. Just after I've met, really, yeah, to cover for my error. You've been sneaking my fungus, haven't you? I, I have. It's been good. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, we have Garion Monad. Garion Monad. Garion Monad. I, who can forget the man who applied the teaching of Leibniz to soft rock hits of the eighties? Uh, I books? did. I, yeah. I actually did. Yeah, like he had that book, uh, Air Supply supplies its own air, and also Foreigner. They will never know what love is. Oh, now, now that you mention it, I remember. Yeah. 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 Do, do you really? Because it seems to me like now that I look at Gary and Monad, it looks like an anagram for um, Aiden Morgan. And is he here? Um, well, I think it's me. Yeah. Okay. Actually, good. yeah. All right. So we've got Paul DeShane and Aiden Morgan. I mean, it's funny that we I made all those errors because we're always here. It's funny that. Yeah. It's like we never leave. I know. It's it really nice. feels like we never leave. So, but uh, we also, so what's, what's up on tonight's agenda? Well, I think we have somebody else down here with us. You're right. Yeah. Was, I think I it's Anne Perry. Who Hello, is, Anne Perry. Who has not been eating the fungus. <laughs> <laughs> probably for the best. Hi, Anne. You're from Hi. the Circle Project. Apparently. I am. Yep. Excellent. So you're down here uh, as a potential improvement vector. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, could you uh, fill us in on what the Circle Project is to start off? Sure, I can. Uh, Circle Project is an Aboriginal organization that was founded in 1988. So it's been around the community for many, many years, uh, serving everyone. The doors are open to everyone. Uh, programs are available to everyone. And over the years, we've uh, done a variety of different things, including uh, family literacy. We've done adult education. Uh, help people get their GED. We've always worked in the areas of um, 
uh, addictions and um, in family violence for almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah. We have, and we also have, uh, because we have a, a care and concern for children, uh, we also have two uh, licensed child care facilities, one for uh, children ages 18 months to 12 years old and the other for infants and toddlers. So those are from six weeks old to uh, five years old. Wow. Yeah. How long have you been with the Circle Project? You know, I've actually been there over 20 years. Wow. Yes. So what, what, were you, are you one of the founders? Or tell me a little more. No, no. no. no um, I came on board in 1995. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so yes. but the, the organization had been around uh, for probably about seven years, seven or eight years by the time um, I arrived. And um, I was brought on board to assist with the... Uh, uh, making improvements in the uh, child care center. Mm. Uh, there were certainly some issues there. And, um, you know, thinking back 20 years ago in, in licensed child care, uh, there were cer- certainly some challenges. So um, I was on, brought on board uh, to deal with the uh, children's center. And then as circumstances would have it, um, there were some challenges that were occurring in the big circle. That's what we call it, the, mm. the baby house, the little circle in the big circle. <laughs> um, and so there were some challenges in the big circle, and so then I was uh, asked to um, assist there. And then there was a lot of work to do, so kept wow. busy for 20 years doing that. <laughs> yeah. And some of the work that you guys have been doing uh, recently, recently as in yesterday, June 1st. That's correct. At uh, Heart in the Park in Victoria Park. Yes. You guys launched the uh, a report called Economic Impact, the cost of one incident of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah. Can yes. you talk to us about that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, this uh, report uh, came about as a result of a question. It was just a simple question that was asked uh, about, I don't know, three years ago, two, three years ago, um, in some of the circles and, you know, the people that we... Um, we meet with on a regular basis and have discussions and dialogue about what's happening in the community and, um, you know, are they seeing increases in some areas, decreases, and so uh, we always want to keep our uh, finger on the pulse of the community to be able to respond to the issues that are uh, currently uh, presenting themselves and and we see uh, trends. So this issue came up because we asked the question about uh, family violence. What does one incident, one incident of family violence cost? We had seen an increase um, in the number of incidences in uh, certainly our city and in the province. And then there was a report that was released, uh, it was a Stats Canada report around family violence in Canada. And Saskatchewan was the highest. Wow. And so from there, um, you know, we asked the question. Of course, we were busy with other things and so never followed up on it for uh, quite some time. And it was actually at a, a dinner that we had attended at the invitation of the University of Saskatchewan Nursing College um, that Dr. Lynn Jansen and I uh, had a conversation about uh, this domestic violence and, and the curiosity around the cost of one incident um, that, as far as we know, that research hadn't been done. So, um she followed up on it, and and we talked about it, and um, they supported us by providing us a student, a fourth-year student, to do research um, on the cost of one incident. 
and we gave them a case scenario and said, okay, this is the case scenario we want you to work on, um, and then start identifying some of these costs. So uh, the first report that we did, the first draft of the report that was done by the uh, nursing student um, was followed by the second draft of the report. And in the second draft of the report, so the first draft took place in, in the summer of last year. The second draft uh, was uh, over the winter and into the spring, and it was actually a circle project uh, a, a student, a former summer student that we had um, that had worked along with um, the other student, and we hired her back and um, as a, a part-time staff person and tasked her with doing the research for the research on the report through the Saskatchewan lens. Yeah. Um, so the initial report had, um, you know, pretty high costs involved yeah. in policing, um, the healthcare system, um, the incarceration time, all of those sorts of things. And so we looked at it through the Saskatchewan lens, um, where it was more important for us to see what is the average sentence, what is the average fine, what right. is the average charge that goes along with that, what is the average time of probation. And so after that second piece, that second draft was completed, um, we had enough background information to develop the report that you have in front of you now yeah. and the one that was released. Yeah, could you... Um, so. The idea here is that you have a case study about a sort of typical instance of domestic violence. Um, could we like run through sort of mm -hmm. the highlight, not the highlights, but uh, what what happens in an incident like this? Or do you want do you want me to? It, well, it doesn't. You can go ahead and do yeah. that because it's in the <laughs> it's in the yeah. report. So um, the case scenario that we gave uh, the student, and again, this this was coming from the Circle Project. Mm -hmm. um, because we've worked in the area for that many years and we have seen um, extremes. We have yeah. seen incident, in, incidents where uh, there's there's people coming back for a second time because they've been charged again. There, yeah. uh, the, the creation of the domestic violence court. There, you know, there all the details are there. They're more. Uh, the information is more readily available now than it was a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so the case scenario was this, that it was a young couple um, who had engaged in um, a weekend of, of consuming alcohol um, and things got out of control. Young couple, three kids, both uh, the, the male and female, both under 30. Uh, the young man uh, was an apprentice um, carpenter and the young woman was a stay-at-home mom, and the three kids uh, were all under the age of six. And so after one weekend in an incident where there was alcohol consumed uh, in copious amounts uh, for a long period of time, and then domestic violence erupted as yeah. a result of that, um, which is not unusual because domestic violence does not occur in isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, usually there's drugs and alcohol involved. There are other factors involved as well. So it's very rare that domestic violence just occurs. Mm -hmm. Right. And the the outcome of this was that um, uh, the male, the adult male in this case was uh, charged with uh, aggravated assault level three. Yeah. Uh, lost his job, um, and uh, uh, there was uh, injuries involved. That's correct. And health, time spent in the healthcare system. And, That's correct. Yeah. 
so the the costs that you guys have are the total like cost of the justice system and social services was fifty four thousand six hundred and twenty nine dollars just from this one instance. That's correct. And then the health care costs were another thirty thousand nine hundred and forty four dollars for so the taxpayer funded cost here was eighty five thousand dollars five hundred and seventy three bucks which mm-hmm. for one single instance. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And um, at the uh, media conference that we, uh, when we released the report, um, we were fortunate enough to, we've got a good partnership with the Regina Police Services. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have um, Corey Zaharik with us. Yeah. And uh, the question was actually asked, um, you know, is this $19,804 that represents the police costs, is that something that, like, that seems kind of high? Is that something that is a a usual amount? Uh, Is this case scenario realistic? And he said, absolutely. Yeah. This is not out of of the ordinary. Uh, Sadly enough, the, the costs are involved... You know, lots of times in domestic violence, especially in a case like this where, um, you know, in our case scenario, scenario uh, the, the child, one of the children under six was caught in the crossfire. And that happens a lot in domestic violence. Children are uh, real victims because they try and intervene between the parents. And the parents are so involved in the actual cycle of violence that they can't even see the kid there. Yeah. They don't, nobody means to hurt the children, right? But it happens, and so we see that. So, um, definitely, um, you know, Corey, uh, brought us some really good facts. You know, I've actually got some audio from Perfect. that meeting with Corey. Before, before we play that audio, I remind everyone that this is the Queen City Improvement Bureau. We're talking to Ann Perry from the Circle Project on 91.3 FM CJTR Regina Community Radio. Okay. Great. Okay, and this is uh, Superintendent Corey Zaharik from the Regina Police Service. That's right. This is Victims and Survivors of Crime Week in Canada. It's an opportunity to raise awareness about the impact of crime and the services available that assist both victims and survivors. Across Canada, the theme for the week is the power of our voices. The Regina Police Service takes its role in responding to domestic violence very seriously. The police respond to about 15 domestic-related incidents a day. Over the last year, domestic-related calls for service have increased about 6%. Not all of these calls include violence, but the potential for violence is often very high. Police have a very important role in responding to and preventing violence. But it's important to remember that the police are most often involved only when relationships deteriorate to a point of crisis. Domestic violence is very complex and not solely an issue for the police to deal with. Today is an opportunity to raise our collective understanding about domestic violence and how it affects our entire community. We know that not all incidents of domestic violence are reported to police, but reporting domestic violence is an incredibly vital step in stopping it. While recognizing the victims, survivors, and the costs of domestic violence, I'll leave you with this to consider. As an individual, friend, or family member, you owe it to others, especially those close to you, to build your understanding and awareness as it relates to when and where risk is highest. Alcohol is often closely associated to incidents of domestic violence. When alcohol is present, risk is greatly increased. Risk increases when there is a higher consistent level of conflict in a relationship where economic stress is present 
and where violence or male aggression is often too often tolerated or accepted. In supporting victims and survivors, we need to recognize the following. The police and other community supports are out there to assist you. Those 15 to 24 are at high, the highest risk of being victims and need added support. Domestic violence can lead to long-term uh, lower rates of health, the onset of mental illness, suicide, substance and alcohol abuse, poor self-esteem and PTSD. Children cannot be forgotten about Consequences for children exposed to domestic disputes often include higher rates of anxiety, depression, poor school performance, poor health, and increased risk of being a part of domestic violence as adults. There are supports in the community that can help an individual fleeing domestic violence. These support agencies can ease the fear of retaliation, provide short-term economic support, and allow moms to stay with their kids. Clinging to hope is not enough for an offending partner to change. Most importantly, there are strong survivors out there to learn from. Overcoming these circumstances is possible. Okay, that was uh, Superintendent Corey Zaharik from the Regina Police Service. And, you know, that's a pretty sobering stat that um, they get 15 calls a day mm -hmm. at the Regina Police Service about domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think you can multiply 15 by 85,000 because it doesn't always come out this way. Well, that's but per day. Yeah. yeah. No, and and it's true. Uh, one of the yeah. things that um, he also said when he was uh, as a uh, part of that, um, he said that about half of those calls are domestic violence calls. Yeah. There's a difference between domestic violence and domestic disturbance calls. Okay. And yeah. so the 15 calls, but even looking at 15 per day that's a pretty significant number mm -hmm. if you yeah. yeah if you even take half that are domestic violence related and half that are domestic dis disturbances and i really liked what he uh, shared around um that you know violence it, it occurs in a cycle and so a domestic disturbance the next sort of natural step um or in a volatile relationship it leads to domestic violence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your report went beyond just the taxpayer-funded costs and we into did, yeah. the personal costs. Yeah. And um, when you put together things like frequently the family will have to move yes. after an incident like this, yeah. um, the uh, offender there who was charged with assault would lose his job, uh, damage to property. Uh, you, you know, you estimate like $15,798 mm -hmm. for that. So all the costs all in, we're looking at... Um, you know, a well, adjusted for uh, inflation, $112,000. That's correct. Yeah. And, and the other thing that we uh, added in, uh, again, as an additional cost, <coughs> excuse me, was the, um, you know, the moms at home caring for the children. One of the things that's very common in domestic violence, uh, particularly when there's charges or when there's an incident of this uh, serious nature, um, there's a restraining order. Mm -hmm. automatically there's a restraining order. Mm -hmm. And so that that mom and her kids, um, they've lost their provider. And uh, what that means, and, and for that mom, um, you know, sh there was value to what she provided to that family 
while she was at home with the children, mm-hmm. including, you know, housekeeping and uh, general duties like that, as well as childcare costs. Mm-hmm. And so we added those in, um, and they're very, uh, a very modest amount, certainly n- not anywhere near what the, what the value of those services are. Uh, but our, our final tally was $115,000. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that when, you, when you come to a conclusion like this and you see numbers like this against a backdrop of like rising instances of uh, domestic violence in the province, there's policy implications to what you've discovered here. Mm-hmm. Um, how is the Circle Project going to be going forward with this? How is this going to change the way that you lobby? Um, well, we will always want to share the information. Um, you know, the this information that we looked at, we shared it very publicly um, yesterday, we engaged with our partners, um, and we want to move forward with our community partners and the funders and the sponsors that we have um, to ask for their help. Mm-hmm. Um, we primarily work with the offenders in our anger resolution program and have been for probably the past five years focusing specifically there. And that is our way to break the cycle of violence. Um, and so when we can engage in and invite others to assist and support us and we can add a figure like this to, you know, even if, for an example, we have 150 people through our program, just as a round number, it's higher than that. Last year we had 220 registered. Um, so even half of those individuals, if even half of those individuals move forward and don't commit violence again, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what we're asking for, is for that investment. And in, in these tough economic times, it's even more critical that we make the right investments. And so when we can work with the offenders and um, really understand that this is not an isolated, uh, violence is not an isolated standalone incident, there, we need to have the support of the addictions counseling available. We need to have those other supports that, um, you know, while mom and dad are figuring these things out, the children can be safe in a licensed child care. So that's how we're going to move forward. We're going to share this information um, as often as we can with as many people as we can. One of the things that certainly we, I said at the uh, uh, media release, um, you know, it dies in the light. Secret, mm-hmm. Bad secrets die in the light. And so w- we are, with this document and this research um, and the fact that we took the time and put invested our own money uh, to actually develop this concept and develop this report um, we want to take now this report and shine a bright light on domestic violence and the investments that need to be made in our community wow. so we're really optimistic yeah yeah you know and it it came through to me uh, at the uh, the heart in the park meeting because just to wrap up uh, there's there's dark information here that you've shared yes. with us today but the event that you hosted in Victoria Park was very bright, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it was yeah, it was a very optimistic meeting. Is this will there be another heart in the park next year? We're not sure yet because um, this was the first time. Yeah. Uh, but I think that this it's an important event, and um, you know I brought I also brought with me in addition to the report. Um, you know we do evaluations after every program and. Um, Again, working with the offenders, 
um, you know, here's some comments right straight from people that have completed the program. Um, I plan on thinking more before I act instead of react. Watch for what makes me trigger. Then talk about it to a person or somebody. Um, own my feelings. No one can make you feel or do anything. Whenever I have a disagreement with my wife, instead of yelling, just talk calmly about it. These are the things that participants have said. And we've uh, that's when we ask the question, how do you plan on using what you learned? So, you know, in in providing that bright light, it's the light of hope. That's what that's the light that we're shining, not of, oh my gosh, this is hopeless and helpless. No, there there is hope there. We can work together and make a difference uh, to creating a safer community. Cool. Yeah. Thanks very much for coming in and sharing this. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me. Well, I think it's um, pretty clear that you do qualify as an improvement really? vector. Really? I think so, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I was on the fence. But okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's, he's a harsh judge. I am, okay. I am, I am well, you know, I, I was I was kind of checked out. Uh, no, no. <laughs> yes, uh, so yes, indeed, you, you do qualify as an improvement vector. Okay. So we, uh, we're giving you a, an official certificate Excellent. with its own mail envelope, suitable for framing. Oh, thank you very much. You Perfect. I'll treasure this. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for coming yes. in. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Oh, well, we'll have you on any time. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So, um, next item on the agenda is innovative revenue tools. Yes. Uh, I understand you have one. Yes. Yeah, so this is the section where, of course, we seek to, uh, you know, maximize and improve the city's bottom line by coming up with ways for the city to generate revenue. Uh, well, you may recall, Paul, last week's uh, meeting, we had a bit of a transphasic disturbance, kind of an alternate yeah. reality bleeding into ours. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't just on the show. Really? It, it kind of bled over into other areas of the city. Oh, exciting. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and, well, actually, apparently the refinery is no longer the like the refinery. It's actually like this weird bio-hybrid manufacture plant. Which I guess is like the basis really? of the alternate universe's like terrible economy. Oh my god! Yeah. What are we going to uh, do without the refinery? I don't know. Um, well, well, there's they, they they do produce like hideous chimeras, glistening and accursed in God's eyes that roam the fields and populate our nightmares. But I hear Ace to say they're also producing some pretty cool hybrid vegetables. Oh really? Which I think we could use to shore up uh, shore up our economy and get some revenue. Oh, that sounds uh, fantastic. Uh, for example, um, some of the products out right now, uh, they've got the cucumber. Oh. Which is, as you probably have guessed, a cucumber made of 100% chewing gum. That's genius. It comes in several flavors, mostly cucumber, though. Uh, there's the shoebarb, which is a rhubarb made of fine Corinthian leather. Okay, can you wear it on your feet? Yes, that's why it's called a shoebarb. Oh, of course. Yeah. Stupid yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 surprised, I'm surprised you had to ask. Um, then there's the celler bee, which is celery crossed with a bee, oh. which is a stick of celery that makes its own honey and oh, can also God. defend itself with a powerful sting. Oh, so this isn't celery you want to eat? No, you can eat it. You just have to, like, just, just don't pick the end with the stinger. Oh, right. Yeah. Start from the other end. And, exactly. Okay, and yes. stop before you feel pain. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, if it suddenly hurts horribly... You, you've eaten too much. Okay. Yeah. The hives apparently are a problem. They're pretty large. I would think. Uh, what else do we have? We have the no-tato. And what's that? The no-tato is a potato made from 100% not-potato. 
okay. which is for people with severe potato allergies. Genius. Yeah, I mean, which is a, I mean, finally, our long national nightmare of potato allergies is over. This alternate universe sounds like a utopia. I know, except except for the horrible beasts that it also, which we're not selling for revenue, obviously. Okay. Maybe we'll maybe, maybe down the line. Uh, um, oh, there's also the slow tato. A slow tato. Yeah, that's the. It's a potato with centipede legs. It moves, but very slowly. Okay. And slow tato. And finally, there's um, the asparagus. That's an asparagus stalk with a very poor outlook on the world. Might be part okay. human. We're not sure. Not sure if we want to eat it, but uh, okay. it would just confirm like it's already dim view of of, of the universe if we ate it. So. All right. And Those, they, and so we, we can make revenue off of these. Oh yeah, well they'll sell like hotcakes. Okay. I, I, maybe, maybe they make hotcakes at this plant. I'm not sure what they <laughs> like actually like hot drinks. Maybe I don't I, know. I I shudder to think. <laughs> okay, well if if these fantastic ideas from an alternate universe do not generate us any revenue, we have some more ideas. I'm Chad Novak with ChadForRegina.com. You're listening to Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 CJTR. All right. That's it for innovative revenue tools for this week. As always, fantastic tools that the city found from somewhere. I know. I know. Um, it's. Uh, I think it was a stellar week for innovative revenue tools. <laughs> so, Aiden... Yes, Next up on the agenda, I don't know if you knew this, but there was a city council meeting this week on Monday. You know, they, they stopped informing me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, some uh, I've been stalking city council, so that's how I knew about it. And it's a good thing I have been, because council uh, this week tried to slip something past us, something massive through the council meeting. What? Uh, it hadn't been vetted by the C QCIB. I'd never certainly heard of it. I don't know, maybe you had, but I, I doubt it. Well, maybe. Because well, you would have said me. something. Well, probably, but try me. I don't even and know. And I, I think it's about. worth a closer look. Oh. Um, and, uh, but I'm going to let Councillor Flagel explain to us what it is. Perfect. CR 16 58, and it is supply of annual bedding plants, and uh, they're growing heartily across the city. That this is the um, report that it'll allow the Wascana Center Authority for the 2017 planting season and up to four additional years um, to be the sole sourcing of bedding plants for the city of Regina. Bedding plants. What? Yeah. No. So there is a huge, it was like a 600-page council document this week, and they tried to slip bedding plants through. As they thought they could. They thought they could. But we know better than to just simply, you know, vote yes on bedding plants and just let this slide through. And so this week, I, I think it's it behooves us as the Queen City Improvement Ooh. Bureau to investigate bedding plants, to go deep yes. on bedding plants. I feel behoven. And so I've, I've put together a theme. Fantastic. Let's hear it. When you see all the flowers around the city, they're actually locally grown, so that's a good thing. And uh, we have the resources, we have the, the people that can grow these for us over the winters, 
And then we're going to source them out and put them out in the city and all the pots and flower plants and the bedding areas and uh, around trees and everything along our major, major routes for sure. So this is great news. So that's the official story on the bedding plants. <laughs> the official Aiden. story. And uh, I'm, I'm going to leave the, the bedding plant music playing in the background for us so that we can... Uh, to, to to heighten the uh, the investigation. Yes, well, I've I've actually uh, ama- amazingly in the last thirty seconds, I've done a little bit of investigating. Have on you? This, I knew I could I've, trust you, Aiden. And I've prepared a little something. Uh, this is bedding plants unearthed in a move that should shock and horrify the average citizen from the city of Regina. Uh, the city arranged to get all its bedding plants from the Wascana Center Authority. But what is the bed that these plants will be placed into? Is it a bed frame? No, because that's where mattresses go. But I'll tell you what does rhyme with bedding. Wedding, which sounds a lot like weeding. And once you ask who benefits from all the weeding, the answer becomes pretty clear. Big weed removal. The so-called philanthropic gesture starts to seem a little bit in the weeds once you look a little more closely. For example... Does Councillor Flagel run a weeding services company called Flagel's Cattails, Horsetails, another weeds removal service? Is he using it to prop up a failing business called Flagel's Bagels? Well, no, as it turns out, not at all. Is he actually, like, behind the scenes again, acting as the puppet master, uprooting those who stand in his way? Again, no. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to stop looking. Until then... I'll be in the weeds, uprooting a particularly tenacious kind I call corruption. Excellent work. Thank you. Uh, I, I think we've done our job as the QCIB this week. I think I think we've blown the lid off the whole thing. Yeah, that's it. They, I, I'm sure they will not try to like sneak bedding plants past us again. They'll have <laughs> no. learned their lesson. Exactly. Because we got to the root of the problem. Did anything else happen? Um... I think the flower of corruption has been clipped right off. Oh, nice! Did we, did we, did we like nip it like in the bud? I believe we did. Wow! I knew there'd be a use for that phrase eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, did anything else stem from this week's council meeting? I wonder. Stem. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Uh, um, well, I know we. Uh, well, I know we. For example, we got a cultural plan passed. We did. Right? Yeah. So yes. I think that would fall under the. Uh, Oh, right. The header of uh, outstanding improvements. That's right. Excuse we me. yes, we we have moved into the outstanding improvements phase of the of the uh, yeah. meeting. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm hoarse from all that uh, yelling over top of explosions. <laughs> um, I, th- I think that was a very successful first investigation. I, I do. I must. And but if anything else like surfaces or sprouts during the rest of the program, we will we'll be sure to let everybody know. We will. Um, okay, so the city's first cultural plan was also passed at this meeting. Um, yeah, yeah. I think they really only brought it forward to, like, you know, draw people's attention away from the bedding plants. Right, to, like, maybe, like, cover it up. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, bury it. With um, dirt. Yeah. Uh, so the, the cultural plan is this huge, like, 60-page document uh, that kind of outlines uh, the city's goals uh, for culture and uh, how the city is going to support cultural organizations with, throughout the city. And these range from things like the Folk Festival to multicultural associations. Um, 
and a, a strange, strange thing happened. Did, did, did Councilor Hawkins mount a constitutional challenge? Not this week. Aww. He wasn't there. Oh. Yeah. It, actually, what happened was they had two delegations come forward. They had seven letters submitted to speak about the cultural plan, and everything was in support. Really? Yeah. Nobody showed up and said culture is stupid. No, no, no. nobody, uh, nobody uh, got really upset about how we were like raking uh, taxpayers over the coals and got thrown out by police. None of that. Wow. In nice. fact, I'm going to let <laughs> Councillor O'Donnell. Uh, talk a little bit about the kind of support that they received. Well, there were seven delegations here tonight or letters of support. Uh, aside from this, there was 12 other organizations that sent letters of support for a total of 19. It's not always the case that when we have something come before us that there's that much support. Uh, I uh, there was a tipping point from my point of view as to where this was going to go. And it occurred at the Norman McKenzie Gallery when our staff uh, held a weekend gathering of all sorts of cultural uh, organizations. And the idea was to communicate back and forth and to sit together on the weekend and understand each other's needs. I believe that was wonderful. Uh, had to, I had the opportunity to sit in for a little while, but I believe without that, we wouldn't be here today. So that was Councillor O'Donnell talking about, you know, how, like, overwhelmed by the amount of support that they've received. And uh, the suggestion from Council is that the feedback they've gotten from the community, from the groups who've been involved in the uh, consultation to put the cultural plan together, was that, you know, it was pretty close to unanimous, the support for this plan. Um, like I say, it's a long document. Mm -hmm. uh, and so its goals, though, are uh, sort of the, the high vision-y kind of level goals are things like uh, embracing cultural diversity, uh, strengthening the artistic and cultural community, and commemorating and celebrating the city's cultural heritage. Uh, to sort of achieve these things, they... Um, They've, they've outlined sort of like directions that they want to go, things like strengthening the indigenous community's cultural presence in Regina, uh, addressing the cultural needs of newcomers, ensuring resources are supportive of Regina's immigrant history. Um, and a lot of it, they, they talked a lot about partnerships, how this isn't mm -hmm. something that, you know, falls solely on the city's shoulders, but that it's something where they're going to like be partnering with groups uh, throughout the community to pull this so, off. So like a P3. Uh, yeah, they never actually used that <laughs> word. Funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, uh, speaking about sort of the cultural um, the cultural side of things, uh, Councillor Findura, who uh, was, um, he immigrated to Canada back in the 1970s, right. and he had some interesting stuff to say about uh, his support for this plan. I wish this plan would have been here in 1976 uh, when I came out here as an immigrant. Um, it was difficult back then to find your way and find your way around the city or find education. So the biggest thing with this plan is education, and a lot of the areas and places that new Canadians find education, and that's what I'm really pleased about, and that's why this plan is going to succeed and it's working, because how many groups it's, it involves, and how City Regina and the staff have done to find a ways of assist, assisting the groups to help to develop this plan. So that was Councillor Findura talking about his support for the plan. So he wishes that this plan had been in place in the mid-70s when yeah. he arrived. Yeah. But 
that that seems a little greedy to me. <laughs> but okay. Well, you know, um, I don't recall him making a uh, a budget ask for a time machine, so that he can go back and bring the cultural plan to the to the primitive primitive people of 1970s Regina. I think we need to look really closely at that bedding plant thing again, because there might be something about a time machine buried in there. Exactly. So we should yeah. go through the bedding plant budget. Yes. With a fine tooth comb. <laughs> okay. Because that's what I think that's what the people who are listening to our meeting would like. Yeah, we'll yeah. just rake right through every single row of that uh, yeah. end column of that report. I'm running out of things that I know about gardening. Yeah, I words. ran out a long time. Ago. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. So the cultural plan, uh, of course, th- one of the things that always comes up is how are we going to pay for this. And uh, the report uh, anticipates that uh, over 10 years, the, um, the implementation of the plan is going to cost between $530,000 to $720,000. However, the plan is going to be uh, watched uh, every year, and if more money is needed, uh, it's, like, it's, it's a living document, they refer mm-hmm. to it as, and that the... Um, the, the the money can be debated every year, and uh, so it's it's not something that's going to stagnate. They claim, um, and yeah, let me. Here's a little bit of Councillor O'Donnell again oh. talking about the money side of things. Nice. Well, this is maybe a ten-year document that has flexibility. We're not going to be able to do everything all at once, so there's going to have to be choice, and that's called cooperation. The other one is when I raise my hand today, I want to raise my hand with one clear understanding that while this is a very good document, this will uh, force people to work together, this will bring partnerships, it's also going to have to be funded in part by the city of Regina, and we're going to have to find the dollars over the next few years to do that. When my hand goes up, that means there will be dollars thrown at this project. I'll be supporting. That was Councillor O'Donnell Mm -hmm. on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, and this is the Queen City Improvement Bureau. It is indeed. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's a pretty firm commitment from Councillor O'Donnell. Of yeah. course, this is an election year, so uh, right. who knows what happens with the next council when it comes along. Uh, because council, a, a funny thing about uh, municipal governance is that you can't commit future councils to like sort of specific spending, and you can't like tie the hands of future councils, or at least they try very hard not to. Um, and that, I think that's part of the reason why this is supposed to be a living document, and uh, the the, uh, the so, so someone can kill it later on. Down know, the that, line. that is a, that is a cynical take, but no, I'm, I, yeah. I, I kid. Um, yeah, uh, I think we should probably end this bit on the uh, cultural plan by just letting a councillor, a councillor, now Mayor Fougere, oh. say a few words on the subject. Absolutely. You know, the culture of our city, and our province for that matter, exists outside of a government being around. We're more than just buildings, we're people, ideas, aspirations, goals, art, music, culture, all those things make a city that's independent of, of the city of Virginia itself as, as a government. But our role in this, in this report is how can we advance those aspirations? How can we advance uh, the, the views and, and concerns and, and uh, goals of those groups in this report? That's where we come into this. How can we enhance what we, we can? I look forward to the discussion each and every year to move this forward. I also finally look forward once again to the report as amended as needed and required to make it more meaningful have a great impact on our community. So I will support the report. Okay. That was Mayor Fougere. Supporting the report. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. So um, 
later on in the meeting, Councillor Flagel made a joke about how a lot of the people who had come forward to show their support uh, uh, under questioning admitted that they hadn't actually read the whole thing. It's a long document. Yeah. And I haven't read the whole thing. It's it's one of those things. Yeah. yeah. I do recommend, though, uh, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about here is uh, sort of very high-level vision stuff. Um, that's kind of the stuff that's sort of the easiest to wrap your heads around. It's a 65-page document, I believe. So uh, if anybody's curious about sort of the details about how they're going to achieve a lot of these goals, you know, you can go onto the website, uh, regina.ca, download a copy yourself, and it's right there. So it seems like an interesting amalgam of, uh, of arts, culture, and like indigenous and immigrant yeah. culture. Yeah. It's, um, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting into this as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, a lot of the groups who wrote in uh, were as well, like uh, Heritage Regina uh, spoke in favor, uh, Regina Folk Festival spoke in favor, uh, the Multicultural Association spoke in favor. Um, it's it, it really has like sort of garnered a lot of support from a lot of different corners of the city. So hopefully going forward, because the the money request here is pretty small, considering how much uh, needs to be accomplished. Right. So hopefully we can see, uh, you know, that council that Councilor O'Donnell can like you know twist some arms, get some more money for it. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, what's what's next on uh, on our city hall council meeting? Report. Okay. Uh, well, the last thing that they considered uh, in the main portion of the uh, city council meeting was a motion by Councillor Fraser from Ward 3. And it was about a living wage. Huh. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let Councillor Fraser explain his living wage motion because he'll do a better job of it than me. I should note that uh, the, the actual motion itself was quite long. It's about a page and a half, so I've edited this down just so that it doesn't take up you know, the whole rest of our show. I rest bring forward a motion about uh, the city exploring its options to become a living wage employer. So whereas the city of Regina's vision is to be Canada's most vibrant, inclusive, attractive, sustainable community where people live in harmony and thrive in opportunity, and whereas part of the city of, Regina, city of Regina's means to follow this vision is as one of Regina's largest employers, and whereas a living wage is not the same as a minimum wage, which is a legal minimum all employers must pay, and a living wage reflects what earners and a family need to bring home based on the actual cost of living in a specific community, therefore be it resolved that the city of Regina direct city administration to research the cost, logistics, and impact of adopting a living wage policy for the city of Regina as an employer or contractor, and how this policy would relate to other community programs and support systems. Be it further resolved that the results of this research be forwarded for consideration in the City of Regina's 2017 budget deliberations. Thank you. So that was Councillor Fraser with his motion on a living wage. And as he explained there, the idea basically is that uh, as a city, we have a responsibility to our citizens to do more than just offer a minimum wage to the people who do the work for the city. We need to go beyond that and offer a living wage so that people can support their whole family and don't need to take on two or three jobs just to survive. Right. Um, uh, in his motion, he also notes that we wouldn't be the first city in Canada to, uh, to investigate this. Edmonton, Toronto, and Vancouver are taking steps to become living wage employees. The city of New Westminster already has a living wage policy that extends to um, contractors and subcontractors. Uh, I spoke with Councillor Fraser, and he talked about how this wouldn't extend to staples. So the city buys a bunch of, like, um, staples from staples. They're not going to expect staples necessarily to be a living wage uh, employer, although everybody hopes that every employer will be a living wage employer. But, for instance, the people who do the road work, a lot of that is contracted out. And right. 
um, there are two sides to this. One that um, the companies that do offer living wages can't compete if they're being undercut by people who are offering less than a living wage. Right. And the city's unionized employees can't either. I also see another way for them to get out of this. They'll start just for for all kinds of things. They'll just start using staples from staples. For everything? For everything. Like our like roads. Road work, just like staples. They'll go to staples, buy staples, and staple things. By the cartload, yeah. By the cartload, yeah. yeah. Our, sh- our streets would shine. Yes, I mean, it would be, it would be beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think the shoddy like workmanship would show up sooner or later. Yeah. Well, Councillor Fraser's motion... Um, there was a lot of opposition to it. Uh, the debate went on quite long. Mm-hmm. I have distilled down uh, about four minutes of what I think ran about 15 minutes oh, well, into of debate. A, into a fine liquor of debate. A fine liquor of debate. I like that. Pour, pour, pour us out a dram. I will. If I may speak to it, thanks a lot. I really appreciate uh, having a moment of everyone's time here. Uh, as I mentioned, Regina has a, an ambitious vision to be really what I would consider Canada's best, uh, best city. And as mentioned, uh, of all the levers we have to do that, a really big and important one is, is one, of, uh, one of the city's biggest employers. Uh, I really think that we should strive to be the best employer in all of the city. In 2014, the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives calculated the living wage for John at 16.46 an hour. Um, I, it's my presumption that most of our direct employees already make this amount, um, but likely some of our contracted employees and, so, and things that we tender out, uh, people aren't, aren't paid this amount. So it would have some budget implications. Um, but also to say that today's, uh, today's motion is not to make that change at this meeting, it's to forward it to next budget deliberation. Councillor Donald. Thanks. I appreciate that uh, we um, sometimes get out of our comfort zone and have a discussion on here. So. Compliments to you, sir, for bringing it forward. Not really sure how I feel, to be honest with you. Um, I haven't given this much thought, and I don't know the background, and so it's one of those things where I'm going to support because I'd like to see how this flushes out. Councilor Young. Thank you for bringing this forward. It certainly is something that that we would want to consider. Um, My only um, question about it is, this would probably require some some research and and some work on the part of staff and i'm um, concerned that putting it forward for this budget session is going to be difficult because it's close we've we've already have a budget meeting scheduled and so if it's done it's probably going to require public consultation as well because i think this is something that we wouldn't just receive a report and vote on it we probably have to look at the implications and we want the public to tell us what those implications are and to also support it. Councilor Fendura? I'm, I'm thinking about um, the idea was for living wage but when we, like with our staff is already, well, uh, the wages are there, but it was mentioned about a contractor, uh, RFPs and bidding on, on things with us. So would that put us into, would this put us into that we are dictating what the contractor has to pay for the for the staff that he that he or she or they are are hiring. Councilor Flegel, thank you. I was going to hold off, but no, I think um, I don't agree with this, and and I, I, I appreciate the the motion, but I don't agree because we have a union side, we have a free enterprise side, we have an RFP system that's in place, and for us to dictate uh, a certain dollar figure, as Councilor Findura said, for a job. 
but also free enterprise. And we went through this with, with um, contractors coming forward and telling us that we should only buy Saskatchewan contractors or hire Saskatchewan contractors. And yet we had another group of people that said, don't you dare do that because we go outside of the province. So we can't start to dictate city, province, Canada, world from Regina. Your Worship. Thanks, Mr. Deputy Mayor. Uh, thank you, Councillor Fraser, for, for your motion and uh, uh, good discussion all around the table. Um, I um, have a mixed mind on this one because, uh, on the one hand, I certainly understand the the, um, the spirit uh, at which this is being put forward. And um, But as I read it, I was thinking of, of a couple of things. Some of it mentioned here and others um, not, not directly in the way that I'll, I'll speak to it. To me, when I read this, this is more properly a discussion at provincial or federal level that actually deals with labor laws. And most labor laws uh, are, in fact, provincial and, and to a much lesser extent, federal uh, labor laws. There are significant implications here. But one that, that struck me, and, and members of Council of uh, Council Fager, you mentioned this, Council Fender, you mentioned it as well, that, that really uh, is central to my concern right now, and that, that is our trade agreements. Uh, and the issue of, of uh, someone putting on a, a bid for through an RFP on work that uh, may be disqualified. Their um, living wage may be at a different rate than ours, and they're disqualified. I can see this is being uh, said this is discriminatory against someone else and another company, another, another jurisdiction. We have a problem on our hands. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But to me, that, that's a compelling argument to say, let's just think about this first. Okay, the last voice there was uh, Mayor Fougere uh, speaking against the notion of a living Well, not so much against it, but that he wanted more information. There was a lot of talk against the living wage uh, policy, even though Fraser's motion was just to get information about a living wage policy, not to actually institute one. Uh, he had a very aggressive timeline of 2017. At the end of the, at the, end of the debate, it was decided to refer this back to administration to get more information about a living wage policy but for it to not come back until the 2018 debate or sorry uh the 2018 budget cycle right so it's been put off for two years in other words and that is it that is our summary for this week's council meeting well much happened a lot did yeah always mostly to do with betting yeah well that's the that's the takeaway from today's meeting and I'm going to have to call for an, a, a motion to adjourn. You know, I'm going to I'm going to second that, and that motion it's going to get passed. All right, but we're going to refer that to another meeting, which will be in two years. So, but in the meantime, you've been listening to the weekly broadcast of the Queen City Improvement Bureau on ninety-one point three FM Regina Community Radio. Our meetings are also rebroadcast Mondays at nine a.m. Find us online, Twitter at Queen City IB. Or our website, queencityib.com. And remember, that's Improvement Bureau, not Irritable Bowel. Thanks, Chad. Uh, catch our podcast on cjtr.com slash podcast. You can also listen to us live on cjtr, cjtr.ca, com slash listen live. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Coming up next on CJTR, Nerdcore Cabaret with Maddie B., Followed by the cockpit and reeling in the ears. Thanks to Ann Perry for being our guest. Thanks to Flagel's Bagels for supplying our bagels. And also thanks, of course, to Ryan Hale, a.k.a. Guidewire, for our great theme music. Take care. Keep on improving, Regina.